Welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Oh, thank you, Father. That you've been so good to so many of us here, to all of us. And if it's not for you, Lord, if it wasn't for you, I don't know what else, Lord. I don't know who else, Lord. Lord, let's soak that in. And today we want to thank you for that. We thank you that we can, we can, we can rest in that assurance in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Leon. Thanks, Anna. Thank you all and thanks all the angels. Hallelujah. Praise God. Wonderful. Amen. Isn't that good? God is good, isn't he? Amen. You know? Um, just you know when you have in fact actually there's a, there's a point in lesson for me there I started singing and I thought oh mama mia you heard me say that right it was really high because I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that I was prepared for something else and I had to go to the guitar I had to look at the chord chart, and despite Anna telling me that it was A, which she was playing in the right key, I still had this fixation in my mind that it was wrong. Not that she was wrong, but because why couldn't I get it? Until I went there, picked up the guitar, played it, and then I was able to do it. And it just shows us about things that we go through in life when God tells us that we're able to do certain things, that there are particular aspects in our mind, that though at at a rehearsal we did it and I was able to do it and we were all able to do that. But outside of that context, you're put in a different setting and what you think you could do, you suddenly realize that, or you think you can't. And you've got to come back to that place of recalibration to that place of that 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 place where you feel safe and secure that you got to you got to go back and you got to see whether that is actually what it is and despite someone telling you no it is right you need to be convinced yourself and how many of us sometimes falter when we don't listen to someone though the person may be giving us the right advice right but yet, we still need to get that in our, in, in, you know, in, in, our, in our thinking. We need to work through these things. And then in, in doing that, I needed to do something physically in order to make sure that I could hit those notes, which is support, to provide the right support in order to make sure that that could happen. Right? So when we come to the Lord... There are things that God promises us. There are promises that the Lord says, which, are, which is really like that support. It's that foundation that allows you to go up, that allows you to reach pinnacles that you and I sometimes are unable to because we rely on a particular thinking or on a mindset that often gets you off track. And so this, this, was, a, this was a great lesson, a great lesson for me in, in, in particular. Hallelujah. And so I thought, I might as well share that with you. You know, because God wants to take us into breakthroughs. Right. Doesn't he? 
He wants to take us into breakthroughs. We heard a word this morning about about this warfare that is happening, militant march, you know, this militant thing that is happening. And we need to do that. We need to engage at times in warfare. And your mind is one of the, one of the most difficult places. When you begin to do war in your mind and when you begin to encounter these things and, 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 and actually gain victory, it is, an, it is an extremely powerful thing. I was going to ask uh, Karen to come up and share something as well. I may not have time for Alan this morning, but I may ask Karen to come and share a little bit about, um, about the prophetic, the presbytery. The presbytery. Yeah. It's on, it's on. Hello, church family. Don't worry, it'll come on. Uh, yeah, last weekend we had Greg and Julie Bailey here, for those that you weren't here, and it was such an encouraging weekend. I had the honour and privilege to have some presbytery, um, and I'm just big thank you to um, Larry and Krista. Um, I was so encouraged. Um, it brought confirmation. Um, I've been seeking the Lord two weeks prior to that on just things that were in my heart and that I wanted him to speak to me about in clarity and as God does, he's so faithful. And they brought a word for me that just brought confirmation. And it brought um, also a bit of correction, which was great, and conviction. Um, I was also then able to look at that word. I probably listened to it about 10 times, so I really got it in my spirit. And also I type up all my words and then I compare them and look at the common thread of what God's saying. So it just blew me away. And um, one of my prayers is, Lord, you know, do what you have to do with me. You know, whatever it takes, I want everything you've got for me. And Julie prophesied those words over me. So it just warmed my heart that it, it, God hears our prayers. He hears everything and he is faithful. Um, and that next step now is enlargement that was prophesied over me. So I want that enlargement. And it just doesn't come. I have to press in. And also a word for us and the church is it is a year of prayer and it is a year um, to, to pray and seek God wholeheartedly. So, yeah, it was really, it was a great privilege. And it was also a privilege uh, just as much to hear my other brothers and sisters get prophesied over. That encouraged me so much that I could see the gold in them and encourage them in that as well. So thank you so much. Jump off this building here, yeah, amen, Shazam. Now, Shazam's a, Shazam's a story about a boy who um, his mom had, uh, had taken the easy way out, 
and allowed the police to take care, take him away when he was found in a, in a fair. And, and he, he was lost. The boy was lost. And so, so the mom looked at the way the police were caring for this little boy. She felt that he would be in better hands. So she was, she was shameful in a sense that she was concerned that she couldn't really care for him. And, and so he went from house to house, from community home to community home. And, uh, but there was this yearning inside of him. He really wanted to know and wanted to find his mother, right? And so, and he was living in shame for a long while, just, just being totally uh, in, in, this, in, in, this, in this cycle of uh, not feeling welcome wherever he was because there was this yearning. There was this crying, there was this desire that he always really needed to find, this, find his mom, to find a place where he felt that he would be safe, he would be accepted, and that he would be loved and cared for who he was. So there was this ongoing thing within, within him until he came across a particular man who said that you are the champion. And I'm going to give you everything of me and we're going to put that into you. And whenever you say Shazam, this is what is going to happen. You're going to turn into this person that you are this, this, this guy with huge muscles, maybe something like Jeremy or someone like that, you know, huge big muscles and you come out and suddenly it's Shazam. And, and so if you, if you watch the movie, you begin to realize that, that he went to and fro between between him being a boy that had been going through shame and wondering what it was and, and trying to find his way into suddenly becoming Shazam and he was this other person and he was struggling between these two worlds and there was this, there was this, this tussle deep within to accept who he actually was and the new person was this amazing person. He could... Bullets couldn't penetrate him. He had this, he, 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 he had this if, he, if he were to point a finger at you, he would zap you, right? And he could run so fast. So he had all of those things as Shazam. But when he went back into his place of being or feeling ashamed of himself, he was just someone who was really struggling. Does that relate to any one of us at times? That there is a Shazam inside each and every one of us. And that Shazam is the person that God has brought you into, has made you aware of. Am I right? And, and it is through this whole process of salvation. So this month, we, we're going to talk about the power of the gospel. Right? The power of the gospel to boldly go. Now, 50 years ago, yesterday in 1969, 20th of July... The first man, Neil Armstrong. That's where's Neil Armstrong's foot on the next slide. That's his footprint on the moon. Right? What, what, what do they say? A, a small step for man is a giant step for? Sam Kosh. Is it? <laughs> or a giant step for? <laughs> I mean, you know why? Because Sam's, Sam's uh, shoe size is 18. So my wife was saying, both my left and right feet could go in one pair, of, in, in just one side of the shoe, both of it. Now, so it's a, a small step for mankind, a giant, a giant leap uh, 
for for mankind, for mankind, a giant leap for mankind, a world that none of us would have ever thought that we would ever be able to go to, but man had gone 50 years ago. So yesterday, five years ago, five years ago, my mom went to be with the Lord, went into another world, right? She made her way there. The Lord provided an opportunity for her to now meet with him. And be with him. So 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong went to the moon. And five years ago, my mom had the opportunity to go to heaven. Hallelujah. Isn't that an amazing, isn't that an amazing thing? And all through the power, uh, in, in particular with, with my mom, it is through the power of the gospel. And, you know, um, the word of the Lord in, in Romans 1 Romans chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 16. It says this. I've got a couple of verses that I want to go through really quickly. Now, I'm, I'm just going to camp today, due to time as well, just on the first phrase, for I'm not ashamed. Just on that. I'm not going to go through the entire verse today. I'm going to do it as a part one, part two uh, series on this, on the power of the gospel. And today we're just going to camp on, on this aspect where the word of the Lord says that, for I am not ashamed of this, gospel, of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Amen. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a person, that a righteous person has life. Now let's look at the J.B. Phillips version where it says this. It reads this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I see it as the very power of God working for salvation. So it is a power of God that is working for salvation of everyone who believes. So that's the criteria both Jew and Greek. I see it, I see in it, and this is amazing, I see in it God's, God's plan for imparting righteousness to men. A process begun and continued by their faith. So what God imparts to you and I, that process can only continue on if faith is resident within us. If faith is strong within us, and if faith is continuing, continuous within us. That is why Paul says in Hebrews that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So faith comes by hearing. So that's the way. So in order to build faith, so, so to go to your faith gym, your faith gym is the word of God. Your faith gym is when you and I begin to spend time with the Lord and begin to build that again and again and again and again. And you realize, you know, you, you, you ask anyone who goes to the, to, a, to the gym, if they stop going for a few weeks or a month or so to start work again is going to be painful. No pain, as they say, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. So when you go back to the gym again and again and again and again, you begin to realize that you build these muscles up. So your faith muscles, when you don't go to the word of God a month or two, and when you get back to the word of God, you're going to realize that, man, I've got to work doubly hard in order to make sure that I build this faith. I build this, these, these, these faith muscles within me. And so when challenges come during that span of time, 
What happens? We get knocked over to and fro. When God actually wants us to be focused on, 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 on his word on a consistent basis. So that we become stronger and stronger and stronger. And when the Lord says then to boldly go, we will say, yes, where Lord? Where? Where do you want me to go? Should I go now? Who do you want me to speak to? Right? Now let's look at the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation, I love this translation here. It says, says it this way. I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful message of God's liberating power unleashed in us through Christ. For I am thrilled to preach that everyone who believes is saved. The Jew first and then people everywhere. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's, unrighteous, God's righteousness. Sorry. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness. A perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. Now, now look at these two last lines and in particular pay attention to the one in red. And it says here, and, and it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. So it moves us. So salvation, this aspect of perfect righteousness that has been given to us as we believe has this outcome. This is the outcome. And the outcome is simply this, that it moves us from being ones that just continually receive into a place that is positional where we function to the power. Now, there is the power of living by faith. Right? right? So we are, we are, we are now living by this faith. And isn't that what we all want to do? We all want to live by faith, amen? I mean, if I were to ask you, you do, do you want to live by faith? Hallelujah. Come on. Carrie, you want to live by faith? Always? That's good. That's good. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Wonderful. You want to live by faith? If I were to ask any one of you, you would say yes, definitely. But something inside of us still, you know, we still go through this doing and, and throwing aspect. So we are right. The word of the Lord then says that we are right with God through life-giving faith. So we're made right with God through life-giving faith. So I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, now, so this verse, right, we can just, we can just leave that passage of Scripture just there. As is at this point, and I just want to share with you a couple of things. I want to potentially ask you this question. Now, what makes you and I feel shame? I've got a couple of examples here. But if I were to ask you, what makes you and I feel, feel shame? Why do we feel shame? Meter, sorry? Hurting someone, you feel shame? Rejection, you feel rejected? You feel shame. Sorry? Undesirable behavior makes you feel shameful? What else? Why do you feel shame? You don't feel good enough. Why don't you feel good enough? you probably compare yourself with someone else? Would that be? So you feel shame. You look at that person and you see success in that person and success is seen through what he drives, where he, uh, where he stays, how much money he has, all of that. Amen? So that's how we begin to see that now. You go out with the most popular person in school or in university and that person, she dumps you. For someone else. And you feel shame. 
Now, these are not my examples, okay? I'm just <laughs> wanting you all to be clear. These are just examples. <laughs> you are so confident of an invitation, of an, no, sorry, of an investment opportunity and share that with so many. Hey, this is great to invest in. Come on, you should invest in this. You should invest in Bitcoins or you should invest in this or you should invest in that other uh, cryptocurrency or something along those lines, right? And then when they follow your advice and the investment fails, they've lost all of their money and you feel shameful that you can't even face them. I don't want to ask the question here, how many of you have actually done that or tried that? Right? But you feel shameful now. You were a big shot at one stage in the country that, you're, that, 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 you came fr that you came from. And you suddenly come here and you have to start from scratch. And you don't want to go back home for a visit because you don't want to share with your relatives and your friends what you're actually doing. Oh, I'm, uh, so, so what are you doing now? Oh, I'm, uh, I, I'm cleaning. What? You're cleaning, but you were such and such and such a person. Now you've, you've gone there and, and you're, you're cleaning? Why don't you come back here? So you feel shameful and you carry the shame with you. And you carry the shame consistently and you consistently and you consistently carry the this, this shame. So you feel, you feel embarrassed. Now what would keep you from feeling, from, from being embarrassed or being ashamed. Knowing that, that God loves you. Okay, what else do you think keeps you from feeling embarrassed or feeling shameful? Now, in, in the context of some of the examples that, that I shared earlier, what would you think? What would, have, what would it have what would have kept you from being, feeling ashamed when you were dumped? You dumping them. That's correct. You dump them so you don't feel ashamed, right? <laughs> Spoken by a true wise man. <laughs> now Tracy is grilling him like anything. <laughs> How could you say that such a thing like that? <laughs> so you get in first. You get in first. No, you have a family that really supports you. You have someone that you can go and talk to. You go and share this and you feel that that person journeys with you and walks through. Or you go back and you go and, oh, please take me back. Please take me back. You know, or something or other. But you journey. You've, you've got a community. You've got a community that you begin to journey, journey with. And so that the goal is for you to be seen in good light. When you are seen in good light, because when you dump someone, you feel, you're seen in good light, isn't it? I mean, in a sense, you feel in good light, right? That's how it seemingly comes across, but not necessarily so. But generally, that's what we want to do. We want to feel, we want to be in good light. So, so the, does the gospel cause us, cause us to, to feel shameful? Are we shamed through the gospel? Now, no, don't be very quick to answer. Think, think through this. Keep this in the back of your mind. That's the gospel, really. Do you go through times where you feel shameful? When Paul says that I am not ashamed, I refuse to be ashamed of sharing the wonderful word, the wonderful message 
of God's liberating power. If I were to ask you now, let's go out and let's start singing outside. Right out there. Are you going to feel shameful? Are you going to be the one standing right in front and saying, I raise a hallelujah. Or you'll go behind. I raise a hallelujah. Come on, Malcolm. You got a loud voice. Come on, Malcolm, go. Come on, Malcolm, go. What, what would you do? What would you and I do? I mean, we sit here and we say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel now. Okay, we go out there. And would you be willing to stand out in the street or out there wanting to be being able to do that? Now, some of you may feel that that's inappropriate. Or some of you may feel that's okay. Not that when you say that it's inappropriate, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that you're saying that that's a bad thing or that's a wrong thing to do, but, you know, you may feel that, uh, you know, uh, your, your rationale could be, oh, others may, they may get, they, they may think we're a bunch of weirdos. So I don't want to do that. But the more pertinent question is this, is that the reason why you're not wanting to do that or is it because you're ashamed? Keep that in the back, again, keep that in the back of your minds. Right, so when Paul now says in Romans 1.16 that he is not ashamed of the gospel, is this what keeps him from being ashamed? The ability to go out, to be able to stand out and, and, and to begin to preach. Does he escape being ashamed because he keeps himself from wanting to be the, in the best light with everyone, as I explained earlier? In fact, it's actually the opposite. See, believing and sharing or even preaching the gospel constantly put Paul in a place where he was, he had to, he, he was in bad light. Constantly, and I'll read you a couple of verses here. It says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26, in fact, it says this, right? It gives us a list of ways that he was shamed in the ministry of the gospel. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers and dangers, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. So in other words, Paul is saying this, that Paul's way of not being ashamed of the gospel was not that he could, couldn't keep himself in the, best, in, in, in the best lights. Or that he had not, you know, he, he, he didn't have enough really good friends or savvy friends, you know, people that would like what he does and would affirm what he says and all of that. It wasn't that actually really. But if you look back, if you look, if you look a couple of verses before that, now if you turn to Romans 1, I don't have that up there, but if you turn to Romans 1 verse 14, and I, uh, that's, that's a really important verse. Look at that verse. That verse say, says this, I am under obligation, or some versions use, I am a debtor. I'm in debt. I am under obligation both to Greeks. In fact, let me read this from, uh, I'll read this from the NLT. 
and in verse, in verse 14, it says this, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. But he, he talks about this aspect where he puts himself in a position where he feels he's got an obligation to people. To everyone, he says this. That's the, that's the obligation. Now think about that. And so with that in mind, he's got an obligation. And then in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed now. I'm not ashamed of sharing this gospel because to me, I'm obligated. I am in debt to what God has done for me now. I have to, I must. I must. You know, for us, sometimes when we look at, when, when we look at, the, at the context of salvation, our, salvations is, our salvation is like a lay-by. We come and we take a little bit. And then we lay-by for a bit until we come to a point where we feel that I'm not all that ready yet. I'll just take a little bit of God today and then I'll come maybe in two weeks' time, in a fortnight from now, I'll take a little bit more. So we've got this lay-by process. Until it comes to mind, oh, now I'm ready to take the whole thing. And God says, no. You come to me as you are, and you take the whole thing. It's all. It's all or nothing. It's not 30%, 50%, 75%, and then, and then 100 So here... We, we begin to see from, from this passage of Scripture that Paul is now saying this, that I have to give myself to people. I have to pay this debt. So, do the unbelieving neighbors now and colleagues around you, do they, do they want you, do they want to hear from you? Do they want you to pay this debt on their behalf? Do they want to hear from you? No. Most of them, actually, they don't want to because they will look, they will, the, the, with, the, with, the, with the gospel that you're about to share, with whatever that you share with them, they're going to look at it and they will think that this is, this is real foolishness. I don't need Jesus. I mean, tell me what the, what the word of the Lord says in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 23. It says this, Jews ask for a sign. Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, and hear this, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness. So tell me if you're not being shamed when you go out there and when you share the gospel. You are. And Paul knew that very well, but yet he says that I am not ashamed. Despite what is going to happen, I am not going to be ashamed. So he makes that as, and, and that's something that we've got to come to terms with. That we've got to believe that, man, I am certainly not going to be ashamed of this. So Paul had a debt to pay to Jews, to the Greeks, to the civilized, to the educated, to the non-educated, but most of them, as today, did not want his message of love and grace and hope. They didn't want that at all. Because it was foolishness. It was a stumbling block to them. It was a stumbling block. So before, before we come to Romans 1 verse 16, which is the basis of the gospel, right? Paul's freedom from shame 
we see that it was, it, it was first the basis of him being shamed. So he experienced the shame. Now the gospel does two things. One, it brings us, it brings us out of shaming behavior in those who will not believe it and it will give us freedom from shame to those who do believe it. Let me repeat that. So it does two things. It brings out shaming behavior in those who will not believe it. So people will begin to shame you. That is what, that is what it means. And it gives freedom from shame to those who do, who do believe it, you and I. So when we go, we are inoculated as such. When we begin to present that, we're going to be inoculated from that. We're not going to, we're not going to be affected and impacted and feel rejected as some of us, as someone said about, about shame. We're not going, going, going to at all. Because here you begin to find that we've been set free from that aspect. So Jesus, and he says this in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is something that Jesus did. And probably this, this is what would be the antidote for us. And in Hebrews 12 verse 2, it says this. He says this. What, what did Jesus do with all of the shame? How did Jesus combat the shame? We've seen Paul to some extent. Now let's see, how does, how does Jesus combat the shaming behavior? What do you think? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? Let me give you a clue. For the joy... Okay, so let me read you this passage of Scripture. Now he tells them this, that for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Je Jesus despised that shame. So what does that actually really mean? It simply means this, that shame began to threaten his heart and to tempt him to abandon a clear and an obedient witness and a call from God. Just like so many of us, we get tempted to abandon a particular mission that God may call us to. We feel shameful. But for the joy that was set, so there was something futuristic about it. Friends, when there is something futuristic about it, for the joy that was set before. So it is not something now, but it was something that was set before that he was willing to endure. And that word endure is such a powerful thing because the Lord desires for us to endure through, through things. Not to succumb to it, but to begin to endure, endure through it. So how? How could, he, how could he do that? Again, it was for the joy that was set before him. So shame was stripping away every earthly support that Jesus had. His friends gave way in, in shaming abandonment. His reputation gave way. He was slandered. His decency was given away because he was stripped naked. His comfort was given away because he was tortured. But for the joy that was set before him, he was willing to endure that. So at times, you and I will go through the shame, this, this shaming behavior that the world begins to lay upon us. Friends, you know, I, I wonder whether sometimes when you sit down, you ask yourself, man, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm off another world. 
I'm, I'm, I'm an alien. You know, when I first went to the States, the very first time in 1988, or I think it was 88, when I first landed in Los Angeles, at that time, not anymore now, they had a lane for aliens. My American friend there. Because if you're not American, you go into that lane, aliens, right? So you're an alien, you know? I mean, the Americans knew that, I suppose. You know, that, that anyone, was, anyone who was not an American is an, is an alien in that sense, right? But how many of us here, now if you look at that, how many of us feel that, that I'm, I'm, I'm of another world? I, I totally am of another world. You know, because I have this capacity within me now. I'm suddenly like this Shazam. You know, I've, I've become this other person that I am able to now actually begin to leap above all of, these, all of these buildings and to be able to do these extraordinary things that God begins, that, that God begins to outwork through me. But you know, one thing that will often hold us back is this aspect of shame. And I think that's the reason why Paul begins to, to immediately write smack in the book of Romans. Right in chapter 1 in itself, he's, he already addresses that aspect. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Come to terms with that right now. Be willing to go out and go and share. Now, you may all have very differing at, uh, ways of doing that, right? Let me show you a couple of other ways. Now, let's move on to the next few slides and then I'm, I'll, I'll bring this to a landing here. So the next slide shows you what we call four, a four-stage trajectory. You may have heard me share this. So it, it's about hearing, overhearing. So now you want to begin to present the gospel. You want to take this and you want to share with people. What do you need to firstly do? You need to begin to overhear. What does overhear mean? Overhear is simply this. I put myself in the other person's shoes. So I come, I gather around this man and I begin to get to know him. Right? You know, when Paul went and when he spoke to the Greek philosophers and all of that, he didn't immediately preach to them. He saw a particular sign and he began to use that to address them. So he went, so the context of, of overhearing is this, which you will find in our next slide. This is, a, this is what we call a missional approach. Missional meaning an ongoing approach, right? You don't need to be a missionary. It's not talking about being a missionary, but it's talking about you going out to boldly go, right? The power, of the, the power of the gospel is about boldly going. But to boldly go, you must be convinced that I cannot be ashamed of the gospel, but I am going to be shamed by people. People are going to, be, people are going to say that you are crazy, you're ridiculous. You can't just simply say that everything is Jesus, that Jesus can solve all, all of the issues. You can't just simply say that. That's what they're going to turn around and say. So missional communities refuse to make assumptions about the particular culture they are situated in, but are ever aware of and rediscovering it so the message of the kingdom can connect. So when you are in amongst people, you are not assuming that this is this way. Everyone has to follow it this way. So I, pre I speak to someone about Christ this way. The next day I'm going to use the same. I mean, I... We were talking in our connect group yesterday, right? We were just talking, the, the, the first time when I was told to go and uh, share the gospel, to not be ashamed, what was the, if, the, if those of you who remember having accepted the Lord in the early 80s, 70s, 80s, 
you would realize that door-to-door knocking was a big thing, right? So I went door-to-door knocking. That is one of the, that is one of the easiest ways to experience rejection. <laughs> and to feel extremely shameful. But the more rejected you, 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 and the more rejection you encounter, you know what rises up within you? Hallelujah, the enemy is attacking. <laughs> so you, you rebuke the enemy. You rebuke the enemy and you go to the next house and you knock on the door and you still get rejected. And you go on and on and sometimes you win, sometimes more often you lose. And after a while you begin to realize. So someone asked me yesterday, so how long did it take you to realize that that wasn't the right approach? I said, many, many, many years. (laughs) Because we... We had followed the instructions of someone who was saying, no, this is the way, come on. You know, if you're really committed, you've got to go out there. You've got to go out there. You've got to go out there. You know, you've got to share Jesus this way. This is the way that you've got to share. And then you go for several different master classes on evangelism and all of that. And, and, and you begin to do so many different things, right? Until I came across this. And I, and I figured that... There isn't a one-stop shop. There isn't a, I shouldn't say one-stop shop. There isn't a, a, a particular approach. We've got to be consistently hearing what the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord is saying and what we do. At times, do you know what? It's about taking the guitar out there and singing. Sometimes it may be that. There's never one approach that will work. The next thing, after you are over here, what do you do? You connect. Right? You begin to connect. Next slide, please. You begin to connect. And when you connect, you connect to the next slide. Connecting is about this. It's faithful missional communities. Let the Spirit create links that hold saints together in mission. And that vitally connect sojourners with Christ's body. Right? So missional communities, let the Spirit create links. So as you over here, you begin to allow the Spirit of God. What is this link? What, what is good news to this person? What can I share? Sometimes giving the person a word and saying that, you know, this is what the Lord thinks of you. Or maybe don't even use the word the Lord. Share something else. But it is, but it is the, the important aspect is, is this, that you and I are consistently conscious of the fact that we are to connect. So you Present yourself, you put yourself in that person's shoes and then you begin to connect. And the third aspect is what? You then begin to translate. Once you connect, then you translate. So translating is about translating what will be good news to that person, right? So let's look at what translating is. Translating is about movement. Translating is about being bicultural, meaning that you understand that person's culture. You take time to understand. It is about critiquing, meaning you critique what you're doing, you're consistently asking that question. And the last point is this, translating is about identification. You identify that need and you begin to now translate the gospel into this. And finally, you empower, right? In empowering the person, I'm not sure. Can you take me on to the next slide, please? So empower is about leading someone to become a self-feeder. It is leading a person towards a commitment. It is moving a person from being, what's the first C? Curious. Curious. 
committed. Man, you guys have got that down. Moving from curious to being convinced to being committed. So you take, you, you walk through that phase with each and every one of us, uh, each and every one of them. And, and, and you know, for me, it was, it was that. I was, actually, if I were to think back on how I accepted the Lord was, I was really curious why my best friend decided to abandon a group of friends. We were all really close, really good buddies, really close friends. Abandon all of us for this Jesus. Because we thought we were all into Jesus. I mean, we weren't really into Jesus. We were, we felt we were Christians. And so that curiosity, actually, as I began to, as I began to examine that, and as I began to look back now, I was, as I sat down and listened to this pastor share, I became convinced. And after I was convinced that I decided to actually become committed. And you know, yesterday, we started, we had our very first um, soccer clinic, our first soccer training. And here you see here, you find, you see Lama and Neto or Joaquim. What they're doing is, they're not, I mean, Lama is not giving them a scolding. Okay, that's, that's not the, that, that, that doesn't seem to come across really well. He's explaining to them about the whole training session. But this is one aspect that we're trying to, we're trying to overhear. So we're going amongst these folks. Now, all of them that were there except for one person, all of them were unchurched. All of them unchurched, right? At the end of the training session, can we go to the next slide? At the end of the training session, what happened was this. So these were all the ladies that were there. At the end of the training session, the kids came up. A couple of kids came up and said, I want three extra registration forms. I want three extra registration forms. I've got friends that want to come. They really enjoyed that. Because at the start, Lama and even Neto as well, you know, they were saying that, you know, when we first started, uh, uh, Lama was sharing about his testimony. When we first started, there were only four people, four kids that we had. But after a month, after two months, after five months, after six months, we had 50. It grew to 150. So that boy came and told me this. I want three more registrations. I can actually invite more friends because we too can become 150. So that's what these kids are saying now. You know, and they were really excited. They were really excited about it. Let's go to the next one and see whether you could play that video. It's just a short. So this is, uh, would the video come on at all? So here they're playing, they're playing a game there anyway, they're playing a match, they're playing a game and I, wanna, I want you to look at this and see the opportunity that's before us. If it doesn't come on, don't worry about it. Uh, uh, Gordon, I want to I bring it to a close right now. We're running a bit late already. So what I want to sh- conclude with today is this passage of, passage of scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, and I'll just expand a little bit on that, and if we can have that. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ 
showing the results of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. You know, so often, one, one of the things we were discussing yesterday at our connect group was the importance of people reading our lives. We are the ones. At the end of the day, we are the gospel. You know, we can share, we can talk, we can go, and we can present different things, but people will look at our lives, and they will begin to read our lives. They will want to know what, what is different. Why is it different? Why, why is your life different? What is it about you that actually brings about this difference? I want to I, I want to know more about this. Now, do you go into work now? And, and, you know, there are many reasons why we don't share. Sometimes we don't share because we are so disappointed with what others are doing. So we don't want in our working environment to share. But is that because you are shameful? Is that because you're ashamed of people wanting to know that you're a Christian because your life may not be consistent with that? Or our lives may not be consistent. I think that's more fundamental for us. That's a far more important question for us to ask. Because when we come to terms with that, when we understand that, then we would be willing to go anywhere and, and, and everywhere. We would be willing to overhear and then connect and translate and then empower. When you empower others, they would begin to do that. So where are we in this, in this journey of wanting to be missional, in this journey to boldly go, in this journey of the power of the gospel. What is the power of the gospel? Alan, do you want to come up and share really quickly? Um, just, just go for it. Don't worry. It'll come on. Some, some years ago, um, I knew a guy and... Larry's been talking about the power of the gospel and sometimes we see the power of the gospel in people getting saved and sometimes it's a, it's a process. You know, people get transformed over time and sometimes we, we get impatient with that process, don't we? You know, we want that transformation to be instant um, and it doesn't always uh, work that way. But in this case, it was instant and it was profound. And so what happened was that this particular guy that I knew, and this is going back a few years, but it's probably one of the most profound experiences I had with someone getting saved and seeing the power of God's word transforming somebody's life. <clears throat> this particular guy uh, was into drugs. He was actually a drug dealer and he was a drug uh, manufacturer as well. And then he started coming to church and he gets saved. He gets a, a profound touch of God on his life and he, and he, he gives his, his heart to the Lord. But, of course, his life doesn't change, does it? And so he keeps doing his drugs and he keeps doing his, you know, drug creation and his manufacturing in his back, you know, area. And, and God starts talking to him, say, hey, buddy, this is, not a, this is not a good deal, you know. I think we need to see some change here. And we all know that there's a process of transformation, you know, once the, the, the word gets, the seed gets sown in our hearts, there's a time, a process that has to happen. Now, he had a profound touch of God, but... He kept going back to his drugs and kept selling drugs because that was actually the way he was making his money. 
and we were, you know, I was one of the guys responsible for following up and, and, and so I was encouraging him. So, you know, okay, things need to, you need to change and God was moving on his heart, but he wouldn't do it. So what happened was that one day he was, and this is down in Frankston <clears throat> where I used to live, one day, and this is also on the day when the trains and the platforms were a little bit, you know, it was a bit of a distance between, if you remember those days. And so what happened was, and he was fairly thin because he was doing drugs, so he lost a lot of weight as well. He actually slipped between the train and the platform. And nobody had noticed that that had actually happened. And so the train started moving and it twisted him around as the train took off in the platform. And then, of course, they stopped because they'd realised what had happened. But the guy's pelvis was totally destroyed at that point. They shot him off to the Frankston Hospital and he was in the Frank Frankston Hospital. <clears throat> and the doctor said to him, look, mate, you, you, that's it, you're, you're history. You'll never walk again. And I looked at the... At the um, he showed me three different um, x-rays. And he said, God's going to heal me. And the doctors thought, you're nuts. <laughs> Hey, here's the x-rays, you know, your pelvis. And I saw it, the pelvis was this far away down below and all, all the way, his, his, his whole skeleton area was just a mess. And he said, no, God's going to heal me. Amen. And so every night for the next th uh, five nights, he said he would vibrate violently on the bed at night. And the doctors wonder, what on earth is going on with this guy? And then the following day, they'd put him in for a another x-ray and the bones were starting to move into position and the doctors were freaking out this is in the Frankston hospital and and they went through doctor after doctor and he did about you know 10 different x-rays and every night he'd get this vibration on the bed and they'd do an x-ray and suddenly his bones were moving into position and the doctors were freaking out <laughs> they thought this is really weird mm -hmm. and at the end of the week the guy walked out of the hospital. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I saw the x-ray, the last x-ray, and it all came together. Now, he still had a walking stick, but he walked out of that hospital. Mm. And, and then he saw doctors uh, on the street in Frankston, and the doctors would cross across the other street. They didn't even want to walk down the same sidewalk as this guy because it freaked them out so much. But there's the power of God. A man that God touched his heart. He believed, God healed him, and I don't know where he is today, but I reckon he must be an evangelist in Africa or doing something because he was so fired up. It was incredible. Amen, amen. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, now, what a great testimony to end with this morning. And again, that's the power of the gospel because the power of the gospel is the power of the kingdom of God invading, invading us. So, so in closing, let me, let me close with this in mind. In the 80s and in the 90s, when, when you would share, the way people would shame, shame you then and how they would shame you today is so different. Right? It, it is very different. In today's context, how do people shame you? The shaming comes in this sense. In... in, in, in it's, it's no more that this is not the truth or what you're saying is not true. They would put this in your face. How could you be so arrogant? Wouldn't, wouldn't that 
Isn't that what you keep hearing? How could you be so arrogant as a Christian to think that Jesus is the only way? Why are you so intolerant? This is the way that you and I are shamed today. We are told that we are intolerant. We are told that we are arrogant. When all we are doing is presenting a gospel that would bring people into alignment. Whether it's bones that are here, there and everywhere. But they would be brought into alignment. If it was not for the gospel, that person would not have a backbone that is aligned, fully aligned. So today, God wants to align. He wants to align your, your fears and bring it into submission so that the fears would not control us anymore. But also, He wants to give you and I wisdom that when we go out there, we don't misrepresent this amazing, loving Father. That's who He is. Jesus never came and, and, and even once pointed out the wrong in a sense. And I, and I love what Greg shared yesterday with us. He never, Jesus never pointed the wrong. He just told them that you are healed, but go and sin no more. Right? He was not about trying to you know, uncover this and make someone feel shameful. He was all about restoring. So today, who are the ones, if I ask you to stand with me, there are people that God has brought in your life that you know need the gospel. And that you know that you want to, that you, that, that you feel on your heart you really want to share, but you, 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 you're afraid. Because you, you look at your life and you think, man, Lord, I, I need to really get my act together. I mean, I don't want to say, don't worry about it. I think we all need to get our act together. I think we all can change and we all need to. But let that not be the thing that shames us consistently. Because God's about grace. Amen. So if I can invite you to stand with me. And let's just think of whoever it is. And as we bring this to a close this morning, think of that person. Commit that person. And say, Lord, I just want to just take, just take a minute and repent if you feel you need to and say, Lord, I'm sorry for misrepresenting you. Lord, I don't want to be ashamed. I, I don't want to hold back from sharing. But yet at the same time, I need boldness. I need wisdom. I want opportunities, Lord. 